Well, my name is Paul, and I am very happy with you to be here today. And my, my Afrikaans is not so good with me. My wife is Afrikaans, and she has said me that my words are a bit poor. Uh, but poor is not so great, no. Nee. Uh, so it is very jammer, but I will now in, in English have to speak, otherwise we will never come today. So it is very jammer that way. So it's great to be with you today. Uh, like I said, my name is Paul, and I'm married to the most amazing, amazing lady. Her name is Marinette, and I've actually got a picture of her and my two boys, Seth and Nathan. And it's such a privilege to be a dad, such a privilege to be, to be a husband, um, and it's such a privilege to be able to be sharing with you today. I absolutely love your church. I love the leaders of your church. Uh, Zalvin and Mika and Van and Emma, just incredible, incredible pastors and leaders, and I've got a tremendous amount of respect for them. And just well done to you. I mean, your church's story is inspiring, and it's inspiring a lot of churches around the country. Just so quickly, in such a short period of time, you've grown, you've become stronger, you're making a huge, huge difference in so many people's lives. Not just influencing people like ourselves, but even the destitute, the downtrodden, what you're doing with some of the ladies that are finding themselves in very difficult situations. It's just actually amazing. So we just want to say, well done, well done. Well, what I'm going to be doing today is actually just sharing a little bit of, of my journey and some of the things that my wife and I have, have learned along the way. Uh, we have the incredible privilege of, of serving God and, and leading a church in Zambia as well as here in George. And I'm just believing that what I am going to share with you is going to inspire you and help you to follow God into all that He's got for you. One of the things that, that I'm very convinced of is the fact that God is a progressive God. God is a progressive God. And that means that God takes us from where we are to where He wants us to be. And that has huge ramifications. It takes us from where we are into the future that God has got for us. That if we follow God, our life should be changing. It should be getting better. We should be making progress because it's in the very nature of God. And one of the stories that sums this up really well is when Jesus was actually teaching and he describes himself as a shepherd. And we're going to read it out of John chapter 10. Let's read it together from verse 2. This is Jesus speaking. He says, but the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens for him, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls the, his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because he, they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger they will run from, uh, run from him because they don't know his voice. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant. So he explains to them, he says, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come to me, who, all who come before me were thieves and robbers. But the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. And those who come through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find Good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I love that. God's purpose, the reason why he came, is to give us a rich 
and satisfying life. That's amazing. Think about that. That obviously talks about eternity, but it also talks about life here and now. That God came that we could have a rich and satisfying life. Jesus died to provide that life for us. And I suppose the question that we have to ask ourselves is, are we living the life Jesus died to provide? Are you living the life that Jesus died to provide? Well, if you're not, then there's a good chance that you're not following him the way that he wants you to follow him. Because the rest of the story actually tells us that he leads us out of the sheep pen into a rich and satisfying life, into green pastures, into green pastures. But I love this as well, because this describes God as a shepherd, a shepherd that has sheep. And it says that he, he lets the sheep out of the sheep pen, and then he walks ahead of the sheep, and the sheep follow him. The sheep follow him. I don't know if you've ever been on a sheep farm, but, but sheep farmers, especially nowadays, they're not like the shepherds during Jesus' time. Nowadays, if you go to a sheep farm, there's lots of sheep. I mean, we live in the Western Cape. There's lots of sheep. And you see all these sheep together. And if you see a farmer trying to herd his sheep, he doesn't walk ahead of the sheep. He often walks behind the sheep, sometimes in his bucky, and he's got his dogs. And he's got his dogs. The dogs are actually coming behind the sheep and barking. And it's almost like the, the, the shepherd is, or the, the, the farmer is actually driving the sheep to where he wants them to go. And little dogs are coming behind the sheep and biting. And they're actually trying to bite the sheep's ankles. Jesus doesn't describe himself like that. Jesus says that he walks ahead and it's up to the sheep to follow the shepherd. Jesus doesn't drive us, and he doesn't use dogs to come and bite us and chase us. He's never going to force us to follow him. But we do have to follow him of our own free will. And he says, if you follow me, I will lead you into a rich and satisfying life. Wow. Following God from where we are to the future that he's got from us. Following God from where we are into this amazing, expansive future. Have you ever been close to a sheep pen? Have you ever, like been one, stood around a sheep pen? They're not very nice. One thing that, that strikes you when you're close to a sheep pen is the smell. Like this, you lack Really, it doesn't smell nice at all. It actually stinks. And, and you look and you think the sheep are actually happy in the sheep pen with that stink. It really stinks really, really badly. Doesn't smell good. But I don't think the sheep know that their sheep pen stinks so badly. And sometimes sheep are happy to stay in the sheep pen instead of going outside into the pasture because sometimes sheep feel safer in their stinking sheep pen. Have you ever been to somebody's house? And you go into their house and their house smells really bad. Or you might go into like a teenage boy's bedroom and it just doesn't smell very good. And you're like, oh, that doesn't smell good. And then you ask yourself, I mean, does, don't they know that, they, that, that, that smells bad? 
But the problem is with smells, especially bad smells, is if you're living with it, eventually you stop realizing that it smells badly. Like you stop recognizing the bad smells. You get used to the bad smells. And that can be what it's like with our lives as well. Sometimes our lives can stink and we don't know it. We think our sheep pen is awesome, but actually it's not. But no matter where you are, no matter where you are in your journey with God, because God is a progressive God, He's always got something better for us. There's always a better future. There's always moving from where we are into a more expansive, amazing future. But we have to follow Him to get there. We have to follow Him. We have to learn to hear His voice. We have to follow, learn to know His Word. We have to learn to know His will. But there are some things that I've learned that have helped me in, in my, my decision-making about following God. And the first one is this, that if I really want to follow God, I mustn't follow the money. I must follow generosity. Like if you really want to follow God, don't follow the money. As a matter of fact, if you're following the money, you're probably not following God. Because we're not supposed to follow the money, we're supposed to follow generosity. We're not supposed to look to get, we're supposed to look to give. So in your decision-making process and your desire to follow Him, that's the first bit of advice I've got for you. Don't follow the money, follow generosity. I love what 1 Timothy 6 verse 9 says this. It says, But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. If we follow the money, we get ourselves into big trouble, into really big trouble. So that's the first bit of advice. Don't follow the money, follow generosity. Look for opportunities to give and not to get. The second one is don't follow fear, follow faith. Don't follow fear, follow faith. And Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says this, it says, And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anybody who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he, he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That's great. God is a God that rewards us when we earnestly seek him. And so we can't live our lives making decisions about what is safe. I think in our world that we live in today, Many of us actually put safety as one of the top things that we look for in our decision making. We want safety when we consider buying a house. Well, where is it safe? What neighborhood to live in? Well, where is it safe? The truth is that serving God and following God is not necessarily safe, but it is the best. Somebody describes it to me like this they said that ships are not safe are safest in the harbor, but that's not where ships were made for. Ships are safest in the harbor, but that's not what ships were made for. You weren't made to live a safe life. You were made to live an adventurous life, a life full of risk, a life where you're making a difference. Don't make decisions based on safety. Make decisions based on faith. What is God calling you to do? Where can you make the biggest difference? God, what are you telling me to do? 
And often those decisions can look and seem as if they're very, very risky. And the Bible's full of stories of, of great people that took great steps of faith that certainly weren't safe. David going out against Goliath, that was not the safe choice. It wasn't the safe choice for Moses to go and speak to Pharaoh. That wasn't the safe choice. For the Apostle Paul, it wasn't the safe choice to leave his comfort and become a follower of Jesus. It wasn't the safe choice. It wasn't the safe choice for any of the disciples to leave what they were doing and follow Jesus. So don't follow fear, follow faith. The next thing in our decision making that might be helpful to you is don't follow the easy life. Follow purpose. Don't follow the easy life. I don't know about you, but I also sometimes find myself wanting just to relax. Just take it easy. Just mellow a bit. I just want an easy life. We weren't made for easy. Don't, don't, don't make that a goal, that you want an easy life. What you want is you want a life that's full of purpose. A life full of purpose. So I would encourage you, put yourself out there. Maybe if you haven't yet done Footsporter and sign up to do that course, it'll really help you to do that. Do it. Find out. Discover what God's made you to do and, and start making a difference. Join the dream team. Get involved. You might say, well, Paul, Sunday is my, my only time to sleep in. <laughs> Wake up early. Don't desire an easy life. Put yourself up there. Sacrifice. Put God's kingdom above your own. Put him first in all that you do. Be even sacrificial. Maybe you're trying to save money. You're looking for a retirement, a greater, better retirement. Don't do that. Think about how you can give, how you can be intentional with your finances. Maybe if you're not yet in a, in a cell group, I would encourage you to join one. Join a cell group. Get involved. Serve. Help other people. Make sure it's not about what's easy, but about what's best. About where you can make the biggest difference. And I think if you have that in the back of your mind, whenever you're making big decisions or small decisions, it's really going to help you as well. Then the last one, and I think this is also very helpful, don't follow friendship, follow fellowship. Don't follow friendship, follow fellowship. There's a difference between friendship and fellowship. They're similar, but they're different. Fellowship is friendship with a purpose. You might have heard this before, and I'm pretty sure many of you probably have, but if you choose your friends, you choose your, your future. Be intentional about the friends that you choose because they're going to shape your faith. They're going to shape your understanding of the world. They're going to shape who you are and who you become. Choose your friends. Be intentional about that. Make sure you are in a soul group. Make sure that you're choosing your friends well, that you're being intentional about surrounding yourself with people that are on the same journey with you. People that also want to make a big difference for their lives, that want to follow God from where they are into the future that God's got for them. There's another amazing story about some brothers where Jesus actually called them to become his followers. 
and it's recorded in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 4 from verse 18. And this is what it says. It says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting their net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come and follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and they followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in their boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called to them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. That's an amazing story. Here were these, these fishermen, and they, they were about their father's business, their earthly father's business. And Jesus comes to them, and he says, hey, come and follow me. Come and follow me. Now, those weren't just words. Those words had meaning. If you were a child in those days and you went into their form of an education system, when you're roughly five or six years old, then you would go into primary school, their version of a primary school, and their version of a primary school was called Beth Sefer. Up in Western Zambia, we have a school for orphan and orphans and vulnerable children, and many of the children in Western Zambia don't have birth certificates, so we're not sure when they're born or exactly how old they are because the school's primarily for orphans. Um, and so what we do is we want to see, can they touch the ear? It's like, can they put their hand over and touch the ear? Because that's when you're roughly five or six years old, and so if they can actually put their hand over like this and they can touch the ear, and the hand's not here but over there, then, okay, you're ready to come to school. So maybe you just do that quickly now. Let's just see if you really can touch the ear. Well done. Well, if you can touch your ear, you're ready for school. But they would go and they would actually become part of Bessifer. And during this, the first part of their schooling career, they would learn the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, uh, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. And they would learn, and the book of Numbers, they would learn all five books off by heart. Like learned it off by heart, memorized it word for word. I mean, amazing. And then they would actually graduate, and they would have to stand up and they have to recite it off by heart as part of their graduation ceremony. And those that were really, really good, like the, the top academic students, they would then be able to go on to the next form of study, and that was called Beth Midrash. And that was roughly from around 10, 12 years old. And so from there, they would then go and pretty much learn the rest of the Old Testament off by heart, like memorize it off by heart. Like our kids think they got it hard. I mean, imagine learning word for word, memorizing the entire Old Testament off by heart. And then if they were really, really, really good, they could then go to what our version of a tertiary education would be, like, like university education, and that would involve going and finding a rabbi a teacher, a respected teacher of the law. And they would go to the rabbi and they would apply to the rabbi to become his disciple. And so the rabbi would then sit and he would test these young potential disciples and he would see whether or not they have what it takes to be the best of the best, 
to see if they could not only do what he was doing, but take his teaching. His teaching was called his yoke. Take his teaching and actually take it further. And so only the best of the best of the best of the best would get accepted to be a disciple of a rabbi. Now here in this story, we've got two sets of brothers and they are fishermen. They weren't the best of the best. They weren't the most academic. As a matter of fact, they had somewhere along the line dropped out of school or the education system or they just weren't good enough to become the disciple of a rabbi. But if a disciple and a potential disciple had gone and spoken to the rabbi and the rabbi had tested the disciple and said, okay, yes, you can come and be my disciple, his words were this, come and follow me. It was a certain phrase that was used, come and follow me. And that's exactly the same phrase that Jesus comes to these fishermen, these not so academics not the brightest of the brightest. And he comes to them and he uses that phrase of acceptance, that letter of acceptance from university. He says, hey, come and follow me. And immediately they're like, what? Me, a disciple of the rabbi? Yeah, and they drop everything because this is their opportunity. And they knew they weren't good enough, but they got accepted and they are so excited. But if they got that letter of acceptance, what the the friends and the family would get around and they would celebrate these young new disciples. And one of the phrases that they would use was was this. They would say, may you follow your disciple so closely that you get covered in the dust of your disciple. And really the idea was this, that the rabbi would go about walking from place to place, teaching from place to place, and then the disciples would watch and learn, and they'd ask him questions. But the idea by being covered in the dust of your your rabbi, what that really meant was that you should follow him so closely that as he's walking, the dust of his sandals should flick up and cover you. Now that sounds very great, hey? May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. The truth is that I don't like being covered in too much dust. We lived in Western Zambia for about 10 years, my wife and I, and we'd go into very remote areas. Many times we would be the ones making the roads into these areas. And they're dusty roads. And sometimes I would be in the front leading another team into an area where we were starting different churches in Western Zambia. And obviously as you're driving in a 4 by 4 it's putting up dust behind you. And then the vehicle behind that's supposed to follow you, if he's driving, all he can see sometimes is just headlights. There's dust in your air, especially if the air conditioner on your car is broken and you've got the windows open, there's dust everywhere. So the temptation is to back off. The temptation is to let the car in front of you get a little bit further ahead so that you don't have the dust, so that you can see more clearly. But if I was leading the way, I would always tell the people that were following me, hey, follow me. Like, stay close to me. Follow me, because I would know the way. I would know where the water was. I would know where the tree stumps were, especially if we're going through through difficult technical places. We're driving through there. Follow me. Follow me. And sometimes the vehicle behind would, would drift off a little bit. 
And then I'd stop the car and I'd say, no, no, follow me. Follow me. Because if you're following and you don't want to be in the dust, then you go a little bit further because it's uncomfortable to follow in the dust. So you want to take a step back. But the problem is, when you take a step back or when you're further away and, and with when the vehicle that you're following is, is further away, then the vehicle becomes smaller in your vision and you start to see other things. And when you start to see other things, you start to look at the trees, you look at the birds, and you're like, oh, wow, look at that. Whoa, this is very pretty. And you start taking your eyes off what is in front of you. And the next thing that starts to happen is you start to take another bit back, and you're like, whoa, whoa. And then you see the vehicle in front of you go around the tree, and you think, nah, I'll just take a shortcut. This looks like a shorter path. Instead of me following the vehicle around the tree, this looks like a better road. And then you go off the better road, and you end up hitting a tree stump or getting stuck in mud or something like that. And that's exactly what we do in life. Instead of following Jesus closely, being in his dust, we often want to follow at a more comfortable distance. But the problem is when we follow at a more comfortable distance, we start to notice all the other pretty things that take our attention off Jesus. And then we start to think, yeah, I know Jesus says we should do it like this, but this seems like a better way. Did Jesus really mean for me to go around that tree? Can't I rather do it like this? People do this all the time. The way that people handle their finances. Tithing, giving 10% of your income to church. You think a tender, oh, that's a lot of money. Surely, isn't that the Old Testament? I mean, that's like the law. Do I really have to honor God and give my first 10% to God? Can't I just do this little shortcut? No, follow God from where you are into the future that it's got for you. You need to trust him and follow very closely. Or maybe you're single and you're trusting God for a spouse. And the Bible says don't date people that are not Christians. You think, yeah, but he's such a nice guy, or she's such a nice girl. I'm sure I'll get them to church. Missionary dating. No, don't do it. Follow God. Honor God. Don't follow fear. Follow faith. Don't follow the money. Don't take shortcuts. Follow generosity. Don't follow an easy life. Follow purpose. Don't follow friendship. Follow fellowship. Follow fellowship. So I encourage you. I'm not sure where you are in your journey with God. But in our following Him, God is a progressive God. He wants to take us from where we are into the future that he's got for us. But that does mean that we have to follow him. We have to leave our stinking sheep pen, leave the safety of the stinking sheep pen, and go out into a wild, expansive world. Following Jesus is not safe. Not at all. It's adventurous. It can be dangerous, but it is amazing, and it's a whole lot better. 
It requires faith. It requires determination. It requires being covered in dust. It requires being uncomfortable. But it's better. It's way, way, way better. And I believe God is speaking to many of you here today to follow God. Maybe God wants you to give up some things. Maybe God wants you to sort your finances out. Maybe God wants you to sort some friendships out. Maybe there's some things that you need to let go of. Or maybe you've been pursuing an easy and safe life. Don't do that. Don't do that. Follow God from where you are into the future that he's got for you. I'm going to pray right now, and I encourage you just to pray as well. Lord Jesus, we just want to come before you right now. And I just pray, Lord, that, that the word that you've spoken, your word about following you from where we are into the future that you've got for us, will just speak into all of our hearts, Lord, so that we can follow you and give us the courage and the strength to do that. If that means giving our lives to you and surrendering our lives to you, God, just following you with everything that we have, I pray that you would do that and just speak to us and challenge us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I really pray that's been helpful to you and we're praying for you and trusting God that God's gonna help you and give you the strength and the courage to move into all that he's got for you. May God bless you.